Thank you for pressing play on episode 84 of A-Sides. Can't believe we've made it this far, but thank you for listening and coming back. Speaking of coming back, I spoke with a guy who's coming back for a follow-up appearance on A-Sides. Brent and I spoke with him along with his bandmates back two years ago on episode 16. So I'm joined by John Masalia of the Truth Council to speak on their follow-up EP released last year called Green Planet, as well as diving into a bit of his musical tastes and interests in comic books as well. I really enjoyed talking to John, and I hope you enjoy it as well. And cue music. I don't know how many of you have heard, but there's a flesh-eating virus going around. Yeah, it's called music. John hello well thanks for talking to me tonight man because um I feel like you were one of the first people that we uh talked to on the podcast like outside of just Brent and I in the basement right well thanks for having me like I just thought it'd be cool to talk to you because I guess that time it's crazy like it's been like two years though but that was the first time I'd really talked to you like other than just saying hey at a show sure sure yeah and at that time, you guys um, in the Truth Council, you would you had just released your first um, EP, uh, the Thirteen Degrees, and then but now right. you've got like a, a second one out, Green Planet. Sec- yeah, correct. Yeah, that's been out since May of twenty twenty one, and we're working on another one. We we just we sort of take a break to kind of promote it, but then it was like you know we're not gigging that much we might as well just keep recording so but i think we're gonna do this new one is gonna end up being a full lp because first i don't know why where my mind was with it but i wanted to get have enough recorded like material out there to have a set so we could play so we've got the two eps which is really eight songs and if we throw a couple covers in there's 10 so we could do it like an opening spot or we could do basically 50 minutes you know in a in a multi-band show oh i was gonna say was it too like maybe like testing the waters um just by doing a um a short like release yes the first ep was really testing myself gets a great word to see if i could do it like to see if I could write songs and put them together and then find a couple guys that I, you know, that I knew that I trusted that were kind of into the same stuff I was and seeing if I could do it. And I, those songs are written like, so I can play them and sing them. So there's not witty kind of, you know, difficult music stuff going on while I'm trying to sing. And then, so then I figured out I could do that. And then the Green Planet is is a little more difficult in some of the music, but I don't have to sing because we have Mitch now. So, yes. 
So did Adam Mitch, did he contribute uh, to the writing uh, too? Or um, was that already kind of in the works uh, when he jumped in? I write 90% of everything, but I, I'm not opposed to letting him change stuff. He'll, he'll change some things in, in each song and usually for the better. I mean, really not, there's nothing that I hated or anything, but I'll let him change stuff. He'll like, Hey, how about this here? And he comes up with a line here or there, but I write 90% of it really. So yeah, but yeah. Um, but I'll let him change some vocal melodies too. If he's got a better idea, um, that's, we have a song called Wide Awake on, on Green Planet. That has a, Jason wrote like the main riff, and then Mitch wrote some of the vocal melodies. So that, that song is pretty, uh, has a little taste of everyone in it. And yeah, in that. Oh, cool. Kind of like a melting pot of everybody just kind of coming together. Well, you really, check. you want that. Um, uh, the thing I worry about is is being the only songwriter. I don't want every song. I, I'm worried that every song is going to start sounding the same. So the more input that I can get from people that I trust and are, I know that are on the same kind of wavelength I am, the better. Because then I just I, you get a different feel for something or something you just don't want it to sound the same um i'm not really yeah. sure what the songwriting is but i guess it would be the same way with maybe like um drawing or um painting a picture um you got somebody else's like eyes on it you know instead of just um your own right yeah yeah and i and i and the other fear i have which is i don't know if it, if a lot of other songwriters have it but i have a fear of unconsciously borrowing something from some, from someone else, like like a, a hit song or something so i'll play something and it's usually with vocal melodies and stuff like that so i will sing something and sing it to them and say does this sound like something else tell me if it sounds like something else so i can change it so i'm very <laughs> conscious with that that i'm trying to get my own thing and i don't i don't need to steal the chorus from uh living on a prayer <laughs> so yeah because i've always kind of wondered that because there's so many you know songs already out there uh like how do you how do you kind of have your own it voice is, yeah that's a that's it. a great question and it is hard um i think some of the people are, that are great and truly talented do pave their own way and have their own sound um it's hard. I noticed with a lot of the uh, young pop artists that they have a lot of, you ever notice, I don't know how much you pay attention to that stuff, but like a lot of these, like, like a Katy Perry song will have like eight writers. Yeah. Yeah. And some of them now are like, I forget what song that Rick Beato had it in a video but he was talking about it was either Katy Perry or, or T Taylor Swift. Somebody, no, somebody credited they basically some artist lifted some vocal melodies off of Taylor Swift 
so much that she credited Taylor Swift as a writer. <laughs> rather rather than get sued. So that and that's how some of it is now with the young people. They just take stuff and use it and then credit somebody. So yeah, it's so hard. There's so much material out there. It's you know, I understand being influenced using your influence of bands that you like or bands you grew up with, but it is incredibly difficult to really uh, come up, be original. It's hard. Yeah. I guess it's just, yeah. Putting your own spin on it. And then, yes. Or finding a way to do it. Like bend the note, I guess, or. Yeah. Is there a song uh, that stands out the most to you on the new um, EP? On Green Planet. Um, you know, the first track that we wrote and the first track the first track we recorded with Mitch for that for that EP was a song called The Letter. And I like that. That's probably my favorite track on there. Brock plays, my son Brock, our drummer, plays did play in another band. He doesn't play with us old guys all the time. He plays with kids his own age, young in the early twenties. And he was in this band called Cloverleaf. And their guitar player killed himself. Oh, no. And I hadn't um as a musician and really as a as a human, that's not something I've experienced. I hadn't had anybody close to me kill themselves i've never had a ba- i've never lost a band member or a close musician to myself and watching brock go through that was tough as a father and as a, a band member and so that song and part of the thing was his uh his guitar player who was their singer also did not leave a letter so no one knew why or, or anything. So that song, I wrote that song about that, about kind of uh, watching someone go through the grief process of that and the uh, the wanting to know why. On this new EP or this new album that's gonna it's coming out, it'll be out later on. We'll probably be done with it this fall. Uh, We've already recorded a track, and it's the letter part two. And it's kind of a response to that first song. And it will, it'll be the letter on Green Planet. The letter is track four. And on this new album, the letter part two will be track one. So you can, you listen to one and then you listen to the other. And it's kind of, uh, they're kind of connected. Oh, cool. So I like that song off of Green Planet. Yeah, they all kind of stand out too. It kind of sounds like you guys are really like, I guess the first like EP, it was a three-piece. Now you're like a four-piece, but it sounds like you're more sure of yourself too or something in your uh, songwriting. Like it's just like stronger. I Yeah, I think I was. I, was, I didn't know if I could do it in the, on 13 Degrees. It was... You know, I, I, I really did. I didn't know. You know, I've been in bands. I've done original. I've done in every band almost. I've done 
originals or some uh, the, I was in a band called the Megasonics. We had three CDs uh, back in when I was a young person. I was in a my first band. I was in a band called Jinx. We had a CD. Um, I recorded with Tommy on two CDs. I recorded with Brent on three CDs. So I, I've always done originals, but I've never been the principal songwriter. Okay, yeah, because I'm more familiar with, I guess, the Tommy and um, the Brent stuff. Like, but I've heard of the other bands. Yeah, yeah, they're on iTunes. The Jinx isn't, but all the Megasonic stuff is on iTunes. Oh, neat. Well, speaking of records and all that too, like we talk a lot about um, records, Brent and I. What was what was the first record that you ever bought? Wow. Um, <laughs> As a child, my parents are young. They were both eight. Like I was, they're they're like they were eighteen when they had me. And so, as a child, I grew up. There was forty fives everywhere, because my parents were still kids themselves. So I had a lot of Beatles and a lot of beat, a lot of Beach Boys. My dad is a big Beach Boys fan. So I grew up listening to a lot of that as a child, and then. As I started, like, in junior high, I think the first record, I, actual album I bought, I think was Jay Giles' band, Freeze Frame. I think is the name of that record. Because it had uh, the song called Centerfold on it that had naughty lyrics. Because <laughs> it wasn't MTV yet. But uh, my friend had that. He goes, oh, you got to get Centerfold. So I think that was, I think Jay Giles was the first uh, album. That might have been like 81 or 82. And MTV was around. My dad just didn't pay for that. That was extra beyond standard cable, beyond basic cable. So I never had MTV for, till I was really out of my house. But yeah, Jay Giles Band was the first album I think I actually bought. <laughs> yeah, that man, that's going back a ways. You're talking about um, MTV because I think yeah, that did start in '81. But... Uh, yes, I believe so, 80, 80 or '81. But the regular TV on Friday nights there was Friday night videos on NBC, and it was like at midnight or 11 p.m. And they would show an hour worth of like the top 40, like, you know, top stuff that was popular on radio. You could watch. They, they showed the videos. So I did a lot of that, a lot of watching Friday night videos. Oh, cool. So do you um, do you still have a huge record collection or is it all like CDs or uh, what's your uh, format? Oh, I'm terrible. <laughs> I have I still have CDs. I, I would say I have CDs. I used to have a, a good vinyl collection, but got rid of it like 30 years ago. And now I punched myself in the face thinking all the cool albums that I had that I should have kept. But I'm, but I, it's a, uh, Brent and I have discussed it. It's a, it's a fine, like, I don't need another expensive hobby. You know, I, I'd, I'd love to get back into vinyl, but good God. I'd be thousands of dollars to get into that. And I just can't 
Yeah, I, can't like, push I feel myself the same way. It. It's like, uh, like almost too. Like, where do you kind of draw the line? Because like, I bought stuff on um, DVD, then buying it on Blu-ray. Do you buy it again on like like 4K, or do you keep yeah the same things over and over again? I've yeah, I've I've bought you know bands that I love. I bought albums. I bought CDs. I bought cassettes. Uh, and and I bought it on like iTunes. So yeah, I, I just it's a rabbit hole that I can't. I'm afraid to go down <laughs> because I uh, I just don't need I don't need another expensive hobby. If I get if I can scrum up the money to get the Truth Council on vinyl, uh, I will probably go get a turntable. Because I'm a child of that. I mean, I was a child of the 70s. So, I mean, I, you know, like I said, I had albums. So having yourself on an album is is huge for me if I could get that done. But it's just so cost prohibitive. I need to look around. The last, the first, like the, the place that does CD replication, they do vinyl also, but like their minimum vinyl orders, like 200 copies. I don't know, 200 people with a record player. <laughs> so I don't think, you know, if, they, if I could get it in a, in like quantities of 50 or something, that's something I would be interested in. But it's just some people, especially younger people, like your average young, young person, you know, it's all on their phone, whatever's on their phone. They don't do CDs. They don't do anything. I guess with the um, delay, in vinyl, like even pressing it, like I don't know how far out they are, uh, but um, I don't know. You might be able to find like 200 people in the time it takes to get it pressed or to get in line. You know, you could keep yeah. spreading the word. But the the it's so hard. I mean, like you have to sell it for like 25 bucks to even make like a Scotia profit. It, it's super expensive. I don't know. Yeah. I guess if I get to that point where I've got a lot of extra scratch, I'll think about doing it. It might be a cool but keepsake I, or something, you know? Oh, totally, mm. totally, you know? And I'm like, I, like you, I'm, I'm into, I do, I mean, I'll, I'll buy digital copies, you know, on my phone, but if they, if it's a band I like, I want, I want that physical copy. I want to be able to go through and see what, who did what and who did this, where it was recorded at and when it was. And I like the artwork and all that. So, you know, I'm, I know there's a, a lot of people that still like that, but it's just the whole vinyl is like the least, like at least some cars still have CD players. You can't play vinyl in your car. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> but here's another question I had though. You had mentioned that your um your first um record you bought um was the Jay Giles band and then I know you said from the previous conversation that uh you were way into like Rick Springfield and like a, a lot of the 80s pop like how did you totally. how did you progress from uh pop to like prog rock you know what that is a great question um i think uh I think I just like uh, that that first Rick Springfield, that working class dog, is a 
is such a great record, great, well-constructed pop songs. Um, I don't know how I, um, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> I, I still like Rick. I still love, he put a bunch of records out in the 2000s that are fantastic. Um, but I think I just like, as a bass player, and then like some of the musicians that I began, I started playing with, nobody, this is Central Illinois, and as a young musician, back then, everybody was playing like, Judas Priest and Ozzy Osbourne and um, I kind of got thrown into the metal thing which which eventually progressed into like the hair metal um, and then but in like 88 the Operation Mindcrime record came out Queensryche and that blew my mind. Like the 88 was like a huge year for me uh, was uh, Operation Mind Crime. And then I think in that same year, I discovered King's X. Are you familiar with them? Uh, yeah, I'm familiar with them just over the, like just recently. Really? Yeah. I'm a huge King's X fan. King's X have, they have like the uh, Beatle Beach Boys harmonies with uh like hard rock grooves and stuff i'm a huge king's x fan um i'm supposed to see him in may but i don't know their tour keeps getting canceled and pushed back so hopefully they they're good for their may date yeah hopefully. and uh i'm supposed to see dream theater like in two weeks but i'm afraid that's gonna get pushed back like i haven't bought a hotel yet it's in St. Louis. Ugh. So I don't know how I got, I think just the, from the Rick Springfield and like, I was a big like night ranger and lover boy. But then I think just getting around when I started playing bass, everybody else around here was playing metal. So I just went with that. And then it kind of morphed through the hair metal and then that Queensryche album came out in 88. And then King's X. And then in 92, Images and Words came out by Dream Theater. And that kind of set the tone for everything. But not even some of that. I mean, I still love, uh, like, anything hook, anything with a big chorus, I love. Fountains of Wayne song. Uh, what's your what's uh, Stacy's mom? Oh what yeah, that's song. right. Yeah, what a great song! Just a great a, a good pop song with a good uh, a big chorus, nice harmonies. You know, I, I, I'm a sucker for that. Maybe it goes so back to I, growing up with the Beach Boys. And the... Totally. Totally, and Rick Springfield, Rick yeah. Springfield, Greg Kinn, just some of the some of those bands back then had great had that kind of thing, and that's so that's where I kind of like with the Truth Council. My courses are usually big, and I try to make them catchy. 
but then like in the songs i try to make them interesting to play for for me and for my band so it's kind of i'm trying to mesh it yeah it's funny you mentioned too like a a king's x because that's uh that's something where it seems like it's like a musician's band. You only hear musicians talk about them. Like you don't like totally. the random person on the street talk about King's X. Yeah, nobody does. Yeah. <laughs> and they're one of those bands that yeah, that uh other bands, like other pro bands will talk and and name them as a band that was underrated and never got their due. Like I'll give you another one that that is real close to them, Jellyfish. Yeah. Right in there, same, almost great vocals, big choruses, but and they they broke up, you know, a little, you know, prematurely, before they could probably get their due. But that's another band, underrated, kind of underground, and uh, gone too soon, you know, broke up too soon. But yeah. same, yes, same thing. I guess it's like. Um, what you were describing too with your uh, shift in like music taste is kind of like association, I guess. Yeah, you're playing with different bands and then just getting exposed to different people and different uh, tastes in music, and that. Yes, I feel the same way. Like I most like I worked for like 99x like when I was 19, and so I was growing up, you know, with whatever was on Rock 106 or 99x, and then wasn't until I started hanging out with Brent and then later Denny, like I started listening to like Cheap Trick and then even Rick Springfield too. Like, sure. Yeah. The, the, and you know, you're young, you may go through a country phase maybe. Yeah, or you don't know, of. like, you know, yeah, you never know. Depends on who you hang out with. Yeah. Well, speaking of bands that were gone too soon, um, it, Caught me by surprise. You said your favorite uh, singer uh, was Ray Gillen, uh, who was with a Badlands, and that was a real short-lived uh, band. Yes, it was too short. Um, I think I, people forget about him, you know, because he, you know, he's gone. Yeah, and that band really only got. If I remember right, even that Voodoo Highway didn't get a lot of attention. And I can't remember if it was because I don't know what year that album came out, but it it may have got caught up in the in the switch to grunge, and maybe the label didn't push it like uh, it should have been pushed. But when that first album, that first Badlands came out, that just hearing him sing was a I don't know about a mind blower, but it was an attention getter. Especially track one, High Wire. That is track one, right? I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Yeah. High Wire. If, if you need something to get you going, that's it. Just put that album or CD on and play High Wire. And that will get your day started. And then just his, <laughs> his voice. What I like about his voice is he has such a powerful voice that there are very little harmonies in any of their songs. Like there's no background vocals. And if there are, it's just one or two little words that somebody does, but he's so powerful and such a great singer. He can carry their songs. I don't oh, know if that makes any sense. Huh. 
yeah, he's he's so and 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 the fact that it, they're just a four-piece band, guitar, bass, drums. It's 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 raw rock and roll. And I can I can just fire that up and it gets your day started right. So that's something that came on my radar from like Bob Long and like Shandy's. But did you did you um, did you jump aboard Badlands like right when it came out? Yeah. yeah. My I was in a band at the time called Jinx, and the singer brought that to a rehearsal. And I think we knew initially we knew because um, it was Jakey Lee from Ozzy. So that was why I think he bought it because. Jakey Lee was a great guitar player. So he's like, you know, he bought it and like, see what it would sound like. We didn't know who Ray Gillen was because he had sang with, I think he had sang with Deep Purple for like a Scotia. You know, they go, they go through singers about every year or they did. Well, I know he did Black Sabbath, but then yeah, uh, he wasn't Sabbath, even used was. on the album. They like had another singer that Tony Martin come in and like sing over all of his stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, he was somebody. But I, I, we had no clue who he was. And that album came out. And then I think there were some videos for... In fact, I don't even think Highwire was the single. The Dreams in the Dark, I think, was their first single, if I'm correct. And I'm not even sure they released Highwire as a single. Because I think it was Dreams in the Dark. And then there's a song called... Is it Winner's Call? Yeah. Yeah. That might have been a single on off that record. But I never got to see him live. And this is back when everybody came through Peoria. In the eight in the all through the eighties and early nineties, every big artist came through Peoria. It's not like it is now. And for some reason they never came through. I don't know what tours they were on or who they opened for, but they weren't on any bills we saw. Huh. Because we most assuredly would have went. Well, here's something. like You just uh, triggered my memory with talking about like liner notes. You had said that um, you like having uh, the physical um, CD and the album so you can look at the credits and, um, I guess, take in the full uh, experience, I guess. And that's something yeah. like I got these CDs like burnt copies from Bob because they're like out of print. And so yeah. I didn't know this until just recently. Um, I looked up on Wikipedia and was looking at Badlands and uh, the producer for this first Badlands album was Paul O'Neill. And that kind of like triggered my memory because I think he had something to do with like TSO, like Trans-Siberian Orchestra and stuff. Sabotage. Yeah. 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 Yeah, like, I love Sabotage, too. What a great... Um, I, the, the album I have from them is... Uh, oh, it's something with Magellan. In the Wake of Magellan. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's got a couple great songs up, up from uh, them. Yeah, and they are basically Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Or what's... I don't know how many of those guys from are actually there. The, he's Paul, I think Paul O'Neill is dead, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, I think so. But he was he was like a producer or one of the uh, right. kind of like guys behind the scenes with it. Yeah. Now, what were was was it uh, the Oliva or Oliva Brothers? Yes, John. Is it John Oliva? 
Yeah, and like Chris, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was their uh, brain. They were the brain, or that was their uh, brain child, the Trans Siberian Orchestra. And look how far that's grown. Yeah, really. They got two uh, separate touring groups. That's insane. I guess that would have helped, like how you were saying, raise vocals on that album. He would have, I thought it kind of almost sounded like operatic or he's sitting those high notes. I mean, he probably would have, that Paul O'Neill would have helped um, with him. Um, totally. Totally. What a great record. What a great sounding record. Just the, the drums sound fantastic. Everything sounds fantastic. And then I'm uh, bummed that you can't buy that anymore. Yeah. You can't get it on iTunes or any of it. And I don't know what there's some kind of legal thing. I don't know what it is. Denny would know because he knows everything <laughs> about at least about music. He knows if I, so there's some kind of legal thing that that's not because I don't know. Can you still get Voodoo Highway? Um, I don't, I don't think so. Um, uh, either like we got, we have the third one that whatever third album, uh, we Dusk. bought that. I was I able think, to buy that. Yeah. And I can't remember if it was maybe just off of Amazon or what, but I have a copy of that somewhere. Yeah. It's probably, they were on some record label and then the record label went out of business. So I don't know. I don't remember why those aren't available. Man, my dogs are attacking me. Chill out, guys. I've been down here all night. I'm in the basement. You guys don't know. I've been down here all. I've been home for like two hours. We had two council rehearsal before this. Oh, nice. So, um, are you uh, just just doing band rehearsal? Or are you working on like new stuff too? We do right now. We are we are just writing. So it's just um, the three of us. Brock, Jason, and me, and then once I once once we get that we we're actually just putting a song together. It's got words, but then I'll I'll send Mitch the words and like a scratch cell phone copy of the music, and then pretty then like next week or two weeks from now he'll come over and start singing to it. But we go back into the studio February thirteenth to start this next song oh cool i saw pictures you'd posted of like a recent yeah we were there last weekend i guess we just got to stay at it keep keep doing it and hopefully something sticks. we got a show in chicago so oh really where's that at it's at the brower house in lombard March 25th. March 25th. Oh, cool. Jim so, says he can't go because he's got to work Saturday. Yeah, that would be a or, Friday, I think. Yeah, Yeah, or work Friday night into Saturday. So he will miss that one. Well, I'll try to pencil it in on my calendar. I'm writing it down right now. Nice. Oh, I got one last little thing for you. Um, okay. You've... You kind of been surprising me because I thought you were like, I guess just from, you know, um, knowing you over the last couple of years, I thought you were like a strictly like a prog guy, but you've got like a pop side. And then like the Ray totally. Gillen being your favorite singer, that's another kind of curveball. Well, I thought you had one 
a superhero who is your favorite but then um it's kind of i've seen stuff recently where i've been kind of like rethinking uh so so who's your favorite uh superhero that's tough because i like a lot of them see because i thought it'd been uh, green lantern because of the green base but i don't know if it's like nightwing or probably nightwing yeah i was, I was i'm gonna go with nightwing but I have like you know I have favorite DC and I have favorite Marvel because I'm a I'm a big Daredevil fan. Yeah, that's your profile pic right now too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, I was blown away when I went and saw Spider Man. I did not know Daredevil was going to be in it. Yeah. So I was like throwing throwing fists in the air. I didn't want to make <laughs> any noise. My kids are laughing at me because I'm like daredevils in this <laughs> i really like charlie cox's daredevil so that was a really pleasant surprise but i would say nightwing is probably my favorite superhero um right on um so are you um are you dc or uh, marvel or are you just a mix you just like i am specific i would characters. say that i'm a dc guy but i do like some marvel characters I'm excited for the new Moon Knight. I'm a huge Morbius fan. I'm excited. I've been waiting for that for years. Yeah, they've they've been teasing that for like a long time. But I think they it's, keep pushing yeah. it back. Is it finally going to come God. out this month, or is it? It was supposed to. It was supposed to come out this month. They pushed it back to April. Oh man, I must have missed that because I saw I saw like the trailer for it like yep. before. Even Spider-Man, maybe. Yep, you're right. And they they announced like two weeks ago that they're bumping it to like the first week of April. Oh, like maybe hoping more people will go to the theater and see I it? I think, yeah, I think they're worried that people aren't going to go because of COVID. And they may be right. I don't know. Yeah. But it's like the third time they bumped it back, man. Come on. <laughs> I, I could never figure out why movie studios that do a, do a movie like that why don't you why does that not open in October? It's a vampire. <laughs> what true. what holiday is in October? Halloween. I don't get the movie studios. They don't they don't if you're gonna do a horror movie, I don't care what it is, if it's you know a, a any kind of horror movie, it needs to open in October. <laughs> you just reminded me of something I thought of years. Like years ago, this is going back. Uh, like if you remember this, the RoboCop remake, I think it was 2014. Like that came out on Valentine's Day. That's weird. Well, I I I know that I'm kind of a film nut too, and I know like studios will for movies that they're not sure of and they don't spend a lot of money on, they'll release them in January and February because those are kind of dead months. Yeah, like graveyard months, there's not, I guess. There's, yeah, there's nothing much to do. There's no, you know, the weather's crappy. So people will go to movies, you know, as, as a last resort. So they do dump, like, you know, they, there's stuff, you know, we both know, like, the big-budget action movies are all in the summer. Yeah. So the kids can go and stuff like that. But, uh Usually January, February is st stuff they're unsure of. 
So, yeah, that RoboCop was February. I remember that remake of The Wolfman. Oh, yeah. Shield Del Toro. That came out in February. Which I can't imagine why you would not release that in October. Yeah, that even more uh, than, I guess, even Morbius being the vampire. Yeah, because, yeah, because, I mean, that's a superhero movie, too. But, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Maybe they need to hire you for the movie studios, too. I don't know. No, no, they don't want to listen to a 50 year old dude. (laughs) You know, I'll go see it. Do you have a favorite overall superhero movie? Man, that's a tough one. Um, Man, The Dark Knight with Heath Ledger as the Joker. That's a good one. Um, You know what I liked? I I, I don't know that it's my favorite, but it was the most surprising. Was I didn't think I would like Doctor Strange. And that was really good. I didn't know. I don't know that character that well, and I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I think the same too. Because at least for me, like I wasn't familiar with that character, but then um, I like how um, there wasn't a big battle. He just outsmarted uh, that big, like like dimensional thing. He just kind of right, right, yeah. Yeah, it was it was it was a much more. I, I really enjoyed that. I, I think. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch does a real good job with that character. Um, I'm looking forward to um, the new one. Yeah, I haven't seen... I don't know if I've seen a trailer. I don't think I've seen a trailer for that. I know he was in Spider-Man. I saw that. But I don't think I've seen the, the multiverse thing yet. I think they had a teaser for it at the end. Really? Of the Spider-Man movie. Oh, that's right. You're right. That's right. Yeah, because it showed like the evil um, Doctor Strange, I think. Right. From a multiverse, right. You know what I'm looking forward to? I I like a lot of, especially with Marvel more than DC, but like with Marvel, I like a lot of their like secondary characters. Like I like Daredevil and let's see what I have up here. Uh, I have Daredevil. I have I have these hero clicks on my desk. You know, you know what those are? These uh, little no, plastic. No, no. They're like these little plastic models. I like uh, Daredevil, Morbius, um, and then like the uh, uh, the the Marvel version of Aquaman is called Namor. Yeah, the Submariner he- guy. Yeah. yeah, he's supposed to be in the new Black Panther. Oh, really? Oh, cool. Yeah, like at the very end. Because they're going to give him a movie. So, I'm looking forward to that. I like I I'm I'm I am i am not a big Black Panther fan, but I uh I'm looking forward to see if they use uh Namor. Yeah, hopefully he's in it more than just like a quick little I guess like what an ending scene or something. Right, right. I haven't thought of that guy in forever because like my uh, I know I came across some of uh, my uncle's old comic books at my grandma's house, and there was something, some weird team like the Invaders, and it was like uh, um, um, Namor and like the Human Torch, right. And somebody else, but it wasn't like like the Johnny Storm Human Torch. It was like a different guy. 
Really? Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to dig that out. Yeah. I haven't thought of that in a long time. <laughs> so thanks for the flashback. There you go. Yeah. Well, thanks for talking to me tonight, too, man. It was pretty fun. Hey, no problem. Yeah. Um, I'll uh, mark your uh, show down on the 25th on the calendar. Okay. And... All right. Well, thanks, John. It was fun. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Um, um, you have a good night. Bye.